The Radio Waves from Doctor Who Annual 1986. It began as a normal suburban morning. Washing dripped on lines in gardens, and the sounds of babies crying mingled with the whine of vacuum cleaners floated out into the street. Those who stayed at home during the day switched on their radios, listening in to the news or to morning plays or to popular music, while those who travelled to work also switched on as they sat bored in traffic jams. A very ordinary morning. And then something happened. On the main commuter roads, engines were switched off and car doors opened. Drivers emerged from their vehicles with dazed expressions on their faces. They never glanced at one another, but seemed to move as one person, away from their cars and down the road towards the centre of the city. In suburbia, the vacuum cleaners spluttered into silence and all sounds of children ceased. Front doors swung open and people emerged, wearing the same blank looks as had been seen on the roads. Mothers brought their babies with them as they walked almost blindly down the streets, heading towards the city. Behind them, in their deserted homes, the radios continued to blare out into the early morning air. And when they all arrived in the centre of London concluded the Chief Inspector. They congregated outside the Houses of Parliament and stared up at the windows as though they were searching for something, or someone. That's the most peculiar lobby of Members of Parliament I've ever heard of, said the Doctor, not without humour. Then what happened? All these people, what did they do next? Storm the building or just go home? That's the funny thing, said the Chief Inspector. They stood there for some time, maybe an hour in all, and then, well, it was as though they all seemed to wake up. Suddenly, they started looking round, as though they didn't know where they were, and then they all went back to their homes and jobs as though nothing had happened. Very weird. As you say, agreed the doctor. I wonder what caused it, said Perry. She scratched her head thoughtfully. From what you said about the way they all moved together towards the same place, I'd have expected them to do something a bit more drastic when they got there. The doctor nodded. Yes, I would think so too. In fact, the more I think about it, the more I can't help thinking that something more drastic would have happened, but that something went wrong. And this only happened in London? asked Perry. The chief inspector nodded. As far as we know, we've had no reports coming in of anything like this happening anywhere else in the country. Whatever it was, it seemed to have affected only London. Which should please the newspapers, said the doctor. They won't have to go chasing off to the four corners of the country. Not that they do that anyway. Have you noticed that? Newspapers and magazines everywhere seem to concentrate almost entirely on what happens in capital cities. The rest of the country might not exist for all the notice they take of it. They dismiss all the other towns and cities as though they didn't matter. 
and label them all with one word. The provinces. <laughs> Very dismissive. The chief inspector was showing signs of impatience. Yes, well, that's as may be. You know, I've been thinking about this incident, and it seems to me as though those people were somehow led to the Houses of Parliament for some reason. Led? asked Perry. You mean there was someone with them who was inciting them to something or other? No, there was no recognisable leader, said the chief inspector. At least, when my lads got there, they couldn't spot anyone who looked like a mob leader. That isn't to say that there wasn't one. Maybe he, or she for that matter, was too well hidden among the crowd. Or not actually in the crowd at all, said the doctor. What do you mean? asked the policeman. That someone had already been in touch with them and told them to go there at that time and stand there for an hour looking menacing? Not exactly, said the doctor. I don't think anyone could do that merely by telling them. People aren't stupid, you know. No, I mean some form of mass hypnotism or hysteria or something like that. Hysteria? The doctor frowned. Yes, but by that I don't mean screaming and crying. Mass hysteria means a lot of things. There have been numerous cases of it recorded in the history of many places. I remember one instance when a whole crowd of people saw an apparition that never existed. They had all persuaded themselves that it was there, and so they all saw it, and would have sworn that they did. They could even describe what it looked like. And you think that this is what happened here? asked the chief inspector. The doctor paused. I don't know. I think on the whole, it's more likely to be a form of hypnotism or something similar. You see, I have come across that before, too. And this bears more resemblance to hypnotism than hysteria. Well, I'm glad about that said the chief inspector with relief. A hypnotist I can cope with. One man can be put away quite easily. We have slightly more trouble with hysterical crowds. The doctor looked at him suspiciously, but there was no sign of laughter on the chief inspector's face. So, how do you think all these people were affected by whatever it is? asked Perry. Remember, doctor... These people were in all sorts of places when whatever happened took place. Some of them were driving to work, and some of the others were miles away, at home. What on earth could get hold of so many people in such different places? The doctor walked up and down the room for a moment. He frowned and rubbed his chin. Then he turned to Perry, smiling broadly. What is it? he asked that almost everyone has in their homes today? Something that they take so much for granted that it is almost ignored? And so much so that switching it on in the morning is almost automatic? Perry stared at him. Well, Doctor, I really... The radio! cried the Doctor. That's the key to all this, I'm sure of it. Somehow, they were influenced by a radio broadcast. The Chief Inspector chuckled. But face it, Doctor, it's a little far-fetched to imagine that all those people were listening to the same programme, isn't it? How do we sort out from a choice of over a dozen different stations which programme it was that had this strange effect? 
Well, of course, rejoined the doctor. It wouldn't have worked at all if only one station had been affected. It would have to affect all of them in the London area. And another thing, I've been thinking carefully about this, and I've come to the conclusion that this must have been a test run. A test run? demanded Perry. How do you mean? Well, think about what actually happened, said the doctor. All those thousands of people went to the Houses of Parliament and then after standing outside for an hour or so, they suddenly went home again as if nothing had happened. That tells me, and it should tell you too, that they were brought there for some reason. Why else would they stand as if waiting for further instructions? It seems to me that whoever was behind this was trying out his scheme to see if it would work before he actually did what he had planned. But that means quite, said the doctor. We don't know what he's planning, so we'll have to find him and stop it before somebody gets hurt. Where are we going, doctor? demanded Perry as they sped in a police car through the crowded London streets. Can't you guess? asked the doctor. Where's the most likely place to go if you wanted to meddle with radio transmissions? Mm, one of the big radio stations, I suppose, said Perry, shrugging. Wrong, said the doctor triumphantly. You would go to the place where all the radio transmissions have to pass. The post office tower? said Perry incredulously. Right. I think we'll find that the very top part of it is closed, said the chief inspector. Repairs and redecoration going on, that sort of thing. Well, your influence should get us through that, said the doctor. But how do you know that this freak is going to be up there? asked Perry. We'll look real idiots if we get there after all this wailing of sirens and police escorts and find that there's nothing there. Not even a spare transistor. The doctor looked hard at her. You have no faith, he said coldly. You never believe anything I say, and you never trust me. Have you any idea what day it is today? Thursday, said Perry promptly. It is also the 8th of November, said the chief inspector. And not only that, but today is the state opening of parliament. That means that not only will every major politician in the country be in the Houses of Parliament, but the Queen and other royals will be too. And since Westminster was where all those people gathered for the dry run, I think we have reason to worry about their safety, don't you? said the doctor. <sighs> the post office tower stood like a beacon in the centre of London. Lights were on in the offices on the lower floors, and very faintly, as they stood at its foot, the Doctor and Perry could hear the sounds of electric drills and machinery at its top. I hope to goodness there's an elevator, said Perry, looking up at the great height of the building. Stop fussing, said the Doctor briskly. Come on, we haven't much time. Crowds were gathering outside both Buckingham Palace and the Houses of Parliament everyone looking forward to seeing their leaders dressed in splendour and finery. The Queen would soon appear. 
glittering with jewels and with the great crown shimmering and flashing on her head, while other members of her family followed her to Westminster, resplendent in silks, satins, diamonds and pearls. Meanwhile, at Westminster, the members of Parliament and the House of Lords sat waiting for her to arrive. All were dressed in their best clothes. All but a very small minority had forgotten their political differences in the excitement they felt at witnessing a ceremony such as this, and of having the people of the country seeing them at their best. In the suburbs, those who were too busy or had no interest in the day's events got on with their chores and turned on their radios once more. Quickly, the doctor, Perry and three policemen got into one of the lifts inside the tower. The doctor pressed the top button and the lift shot up. Have you any idea who might be behind all this? Asked the chief inspector. The doctor nodded. I think I may have. Of course, it might quite easily be any idiot trying to make a point. But I think it will turn out to be an old adversary of mine. It's right up his street. Are your men armed? Yes, they are. Why? Do you think this man might be dangerous? Oh, he's dangerous, certainly, said the doctor. But your weapons would be useless against him. No, I was thinking of the workmen up there. It would seem to me that they must be under some sort of hypnotism too, because they must know that there's someone up there tampering with the radio waves. For them not to interfere, they must be in his power. And that means that they won't take kindly to unwelcome visitors like us. Doctor, I'm not looking forward to this, said Perry uneasily. The doctor grinned. What? With these three burly policemen to protect you? Not to mention my skill in dealing with things like this. What can you possibly be frightened of? I could make a list, if you have a spare week, said Perry, grimly. We're here, said the chief inspector. As the lift came to a stop and the door slid open. Out in the suburbs, people left their houses and cars. They moved slowly but deliberately down the streets and onto the main roads into the city centre. It was like a repeat of the events of a few days before, except that this time the people carried objects in their hands. Carving knives, spanners, scissors, skewers and hammers. Meanwhile, there was a burst of activity and excitement from Westminster. The royal coach drew up outside, and the Queen stepped out. She made her way slowly into the Houses of Parliament, accompanied by ushers and bodyguards. Other members of the royal family followed her inside. Tiaras and coronets sparkled in the sun. Necklaces and rings flashed. Rich materials shimmered. Now, said the Chief Inspector, we better not have any rough stuff from you, my lads. His words seemed to make no impression on the minds of the three workmen who advanced upon their visitors. Drills and pickaxes raised menacingly. The two constables with him drew their revolvers, but the doctor signalled them to relax. He pulled something out of his pocket. 
It flashed in the sunlight as he twirled it round and round in his fingers, in front of the men's eyes. I wouldn't bother with those things if I were you, he said calmly. You don't want to make trouble for yourselves, do you? Now, why don't you put them down and sit quietly while we get on with our business here? In his fingers, the object spun and glittered, sending flashes of light spinning round the dusty, almost derelict room and dancing on the faces of the workmen. Slowly, they turned away and moved like sleepwalkers to sit upon the floor. How did you do that? hissed Perry in the doctor's ear. What? Oh, it's simple, he answered, and led the way across the room to a door on the far side. This part might not be as easy. Ready? The two constables threw open the door of the room. Bending over a complex array of equipment by the window was a figure that the doctor recognized at once. He turned swiftly as they entered, and his face twisted into a smile. Well, Doctor, how nice to see you again. You, gasped Perry, the master. So glad to meet you again, said the master, bowing courteously. I wish I could say the same, replied the doctor. However, I must admit I'm pleased to have found you while there is still time to stop you. Stop me? The master looked astonished. I'm sorry, Doctor. I don't quite understand what you mean. You're trying to destroy all those people, cried Perry. You're going to make all those people in the suburbs come into the center of London and destroy all the politicians and the royal family. The master laughed. <laughs> really, my dear, do you think anyone would really miss them? As far as I can see, they've done more harm than good so far to this country. But not half as much harm as you would do if you were to take over the place, said the doctor. Now, let's stop this farce and send all those people back to their homes in peace. The master surveyed him, and his gaze travelled to the guns held by the two constables. Since you have superior weaponry at your service, doctor... I can see that I have little choice. You will, I think, permit me to switch off this device before we go? The doctor looked steadily at him. Outside, the zombie-like crowd of people moved closer to the Houses of Parliament. While inside the House of Lords, the Queen settled her glasses more firmly on her nose and began to read her speech, oblivious to what was happening in the streets. Yes, said the doctor at last, after what had seemed to Perry to be a very long pause. Switch it off. Thank you, doctor, said the master politely. He smiled at his old adversary, turned his back, and began to flick switches and push buttons. There was a whirring sound, which grew louder and louder until the room itself seemed to spin. Perry found that her sight began to blur, 
until she could see three doctors, three masters, three ranges of controls. The whirring sound grew louder and louder until she was almost deafened. Trying to focus through half-closed eyes, she saw the master turn and smile maliciously at the doctor. Then the master seemed to grow fainter and to waver in her sight until finally she knew that he was disappearing. She tried to call out to warn the doctor, but her voice would not come. And in any case, she suddenly realized that the doctor must have known that this was the master's aim. Outside, in the streets, people stopped moving forward and began to look around them, bewildered, wondering where they were and what had brought them there. Inside the Houses of Parliament, MPs tried to stifle their yawns as the Queen's speech continued. Everyone knew what she was going to say anyway. Everyone knew the Prime Minister's office had written the speech. It was just another humdrum state opening. Nothing new, nothing out of the ordinary. The Doctor Who Audio Annual was read by Peter Purvis, Annika Wills, Geoffrey Beavers, Matthew Waterhouse and Nicola Bryant. It is published by BBC Worldwide.